Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here, Outkick 360 across the great Outkick network. Follow us on Twitter, at Outkick 360. That's where you can find the daily link. We are live and ready to go from our 6th and Peabody studios with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. More NFL discussion coming up later in today's show. First hour, if you missed it, we discussed Alabama and Arkansas, or Alabama and Georgia dominating Ole Miss and Arkansas from week five across college football. In about 10 minutes, we will dive into headfirst Kentucky and this Wildcats team, what it meant to beat Florida, where Kentucky was not at their best. Florida was far from it too. But what does that mean? What does that set up for the SEC East and the race for second behind Georgia? That's coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, Beyond that, though, guys, a a lot of solid college football on uh, a slate of games Saturday – Uh, beyond just the top two games that were the featured games in the SEC with Georgia and Arkansas facing off in the 11 a.m. time slot where they sent their ESPN's top crew, ABC's top crew, to call that game. And, of course, the CBS game of the week was Alabama Ole Miss in Tuscaloosa. Big week. uh, By the way, shout out to Dax Cook and Peter Kern from Farm Folio. Uh, Fantastic to have them on board for Outkick the Tailgate. Um, That show continues to climb week in and week out. We're headed to College Station this week. Uh, Paul, I'm eager to get your feedback on the broadcast that you'll be able to watch because they are, Farm Folio is adding some things to it that make it outstanding. Cool. Uh, you, were, the, yeah. you were at uh, Tuscaloosa for Alabama Ole Miss and at the game um, yes. this week. What uh, did you, I've, Brian I've Denny. been to Tuscaloosa a long time ago. What did, what did you think? It was my first time in the stadium since 2005 or 2006. I can't remember which year, but... It has changed a lot. Um, let, here's how I would describe Bryant-Denny. This is a big game, right? The night before, everyone's talking about Joey Freshwater and Kiffin's back in town. And Bama fans, for the most part, don't like him. Um, it, it rubs them the wrong way. And we had a big show Saturday morning leading up to him. And I'm thinking, there's going to be a buzz walking into the stadium. It, walking into Bryant-Denny, there is a weird malaise it's like a, and it's not a bad thing. It's just an expectation of what's about to proceed at kickoff. There's no real hype or anticipation for a close game in that stadium. Everyone walks in like you're going into a museum for a viewing. And it was very, it's not loud. It's not, no one's chanting or singing or, you know, like we've seen in previous stops. This is more or less, we're here. We're lucky enough to have a ticket. And we're about to watch this route that kicks off in 15 minutes. Jam-packed, not an empty seat in the building at kickoff, really 10 minutes prior to kickoff. But it was not as loud and crazy as what I thought walking into the place itself. That's what I took away from it. It's like walking into a baseball game. It's almost, you know, you know that feeling you have before you go to a buffet and you're starving? And then the feeling you have after the buffet when you fed for so long? and there's a malaise that sets in, and you're half asleep, 
that's Alabama fan because they've been feeding on a buffet of success yes. for yes. so long now that there's no hunger. There is zero desire. I'm watching games this weekend. One guy in the group's an Alabama fan. I mean, he's barely watching the Alabama Ole Miss game, knowing what's going to happen as the game starts. It's, that's the level of success that they've come to expect, and it leads to a lack of excitement going into a game. And I'm, I'm, It's interesting to say that you saw that going into that stadium for that game, but that's the sense I get from every Alabama fan I know. Walking the corridors, Paul, of, of these SEC stadiums, it's, um, you know, there's just a buzz and a hype to it, right? An anticipation. This was, it, it was the same level of uh, craziness pregame as there was to halftime when they you know led 28 nothing or whatever it was just walking around the stadium that's the biggest takeaway is the expectation of dominance and that they go out and live up to it on a weekly basis i used to root for a team like that (laughs) well you do you do again tomorrow well tomorrow there's no expectation of dominance there's a but there's a fear fact there's a hunger once once you lose once you you aren't fed for a while yeah I'm hungry. Then, then you get hungry again, and then that energy is going to be right back up there. Alabama needs to lose to someone, and then the coach to go and talk trash about Al- Alabama or something, or fans to storm the field, just so at least the next year when they play that team, there is a hunger to beat that team. Hugh Freeze did it to him two years in a row. Then there was a hunger to humiliate Ole Miss and their fans because Hugh Freeze beat the great Nick Saban back-to-back years. Until that happens, guys, they're going to walk in there like they're fat and happy and just fed at a Golden Corral buffet for about four hours. That's a Bama fan better, right now. Better level than Golden Corral. <laughs> Maybe a Luby's. No, well, it's better Al- level it's, than it's Alabama. It's Golden Corral, trust me. Uh, with all the success, it's still Alabama. The state still has some issues. The, the other takeaway for Tuscaloosa, everywhere you go, minimum 10 games on screens in restaurants. Everybody knows every team. Every score, every spread, every table's talking about multiple games. I mean, that, that is their life and their religion. They get Vandy Yukon on up there? Uh, no, but the, it, there were people post-game that were discussing the Vandy Yukon game coming up to us saying, like, can you believe Yukon is pulling the comeback and they're about <laughs> to win? They knew the quarterback's name for Yukon. They were talking about – it's not on the TV – but they they're discussing and then they you know Vandy kicks the field goal um, after they have the the drive that sets up the chip shot um, and you know it quickly well, if went you, away from that topic. some of the Titans beat guys who were in Manhattan got it on no. TVs at the bar <laughs> they were at which is pretty impressive amazing so if you look at the top college football ratings every weekend number one is always Birmingham somewhere yeah. around number two or three is Nashville then you've got Charlotte. Is always in the top five. Columbus, Ohio is typically but the one outside of the South that's top five with college football, but it's all Southern cities. And I'm pretty sure week after week, Birmingham, Alabama, and that market, which would include Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa. is the number one college football market for television. And, you know, they, uh, everyone was tuned in to Auburn, LSU. I expected more um, hatred for Auburn watching in Tuscaloosa, and it was really split. There's a lot of Bo Nix fans in Tuscaloosa, if you can believe that. I mean, there, there is zero hatred in the hearts of Bama. Well, they hate LSU. Right I think they just truly hate LSU um, more than Auburn right now as, as contenders in the, in the West. Bo Nix, by the way, put on a show bounce, after all the discussion about whether or not he would be the guy. He's their guy. That, it, it was a game that was hard to watch. For a week. 
Well, then, I mean, then he's going to go out against Georgia and look terrible, and fans are going to be back out on Bo Nix again. LSU led 13 nothing, and then Bo Nix played up to a, a caliber that we expected to see from Bo Nix from the start of the season. Well, how about the roller coaster for LSU and Auburn this year? You know, Auburn, they, they lose a couple, and it's like, boy, you know, Brian Harson. People are nervous about Brian Harson already as Auburn fans. So maybe, maybe this was a bad decision. Then they go out and they win uh, for the first time since 99, I believe it was, in, in Baton Rouge. And suddenly, oh, Brian Harson, Auburn fans love him. And then with LSU, okay, maybe the, the UCLA game was just a blip on the radar, and Coach O's got it going, and then they blow that lead and lose. And suddenly the talk is fired right back up about maybe Ed Ogeron is now in trouble. And you look at LSU's schedule now. They go to Kentucky this week. They're staring down the barrel of three or four straight losses. Well, Auburn now has Georgia. Auburn's got Georgia. That's a loss. They're a 14.5-point underdog. But LSU's got you know Kentucky. They've got Bama coming. I mean, they've got these games coming up where they're, they're looking at a well, tough go the and, rest of the way. Arkansas. Me, if you're looking for the battle for second in the in the West, Ole Miss, you know, they draw Vanderbilt and Tennessee on their schedule. So when you're comparing the other side of the the SEC slate to what our, our, you know Arkansas just had to play Georgia, for instance, Ole Miss doesn't. You've got Auburn, who's now playing Georgia. All these teams battling for that second spot. Ole Miss has the path to rebound better than the other teams right now. And we also get to see Ole Miss-Arkansas uh, uh, and, and see what that battle might be like for second. I'm really starting to think more and more that the divisional play is nonsensical mm. in the SEC and that they should go to a more round-robin type schedule every year and eliminate the divisions because of some of these inequities in the schedule. The fact that Ole Miss plays Vandy every year is an inherent advantage right. over – um, an Auburn who plays Georgia every year as their constant opponent, as an example, and you got these throughout the conference. We got in this big discussion at the bachelor party about would you do away with the Alabama game if you're a Tennessee fan? And probably 80% of the people there said, yeah. If we didn't have to play Bama every year, even though it's a, a classic rivalry going years back, right now, my answer is as long as Nick Saban's the coach, I'd be totally fine with Tennessee not playing Bama. If they go hire someone else, bring it back. <laughs> Play them every year at that point. I'm yeah. fine with that. SEC's team, fine with that. I don't need to see this game anymore. I've seen it since 2007, and it never works out well for Tennessee. So I'm, I'm fine with that going away now. If they make a bad hire, let's bring it back. If, once Mike DeBose is hired, the next equivalent of Mike DeBose at Alabama, then you can bring back that rivalry series. Uh, credit Mississippi State, an offensive performance they should be proud of uh, with Will Rogers at quarterback. Just steady. 408 yards, though, uh, from, from what we saw in Rodgers against A&M. Uh, props to what they were able to do, winning 26-22 over A&M. Calzada's the, what, the worst quarterback in the SEC right now. He started the year as the backup, but even then, there was some discussion about if there was a true quarterback battle uh, at Texas A&M going into the season. Uh, it's certainly not the case now uh, with, with what they're playing. Just second loss in a row and just inept on offense. Well, you mentioned a malaise in Tuscaloosa for that game. Hutton, we're headed to College Station, and there's, it's going to be our first time to, to go to Kyle Field. There's going to be a malaise with A&M fans because they are looking around right now thinking, what in the world are we paying this amount of money to Jimbo Fisher for? Because I don't care that it's a backup quarterback. I know the Haynes King injury was huge for A&M. They have to be better on offense. They have a good, solid defense. They've got a lot of 
high-level recruits at A&M right now, mm-hmm. they have to be better than that. They cannot be losing to Mississippi State. They, they cannot be barely beating a really bad Colorado team. This is headed for um, a disastrous season for a top-10 preseason team in Texas A&M, and it's only going to get worse this weekend when Alabama comes in and rolls them because there is no way. I can see no possible route for A&M scoring enough points against Bama to make this thing remotely interesting. And the biggest takeaway from the weekend, uh, just recapping, Paul, what we got into first segment, the two blowouts with Georgia and Arkansas, 37-0, game was over really before it kicked off because Arkansas just did not come out with any boost or energy or jolt uh, against what Georgia was doing. And again, Georgia, what, 11 pass attempts. I mean, it was it was uh, typical Georgia old-school football and beat them down uh, in that route. Um, Alabama handles Ole Miss. It's really 35 nothing before we see anything of a pulse from the Rebels um, other than that opening drive where they fell on the fourth down attempt. But really, it's about the two elite teams in the SEC and – whether or not we would see not, and I, I didn't think that Georgia or, or, or Bama were losing this weekend, but whether or not we would see the competition kind of get closer, yeah, the gap, and the gap has not closed, and it's just as wide as we thought it was, and that goes back to you know the malaise at the top, which is not a bad thing for those, those fan bases, but I think the casual college football fan going back a couple of weeks to what Florida did against Bama. That was treated as a Florida win, even though they lost, because of how they played Bama. It was fun to watch that fourth quarter, and I think that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out. Is the race for number one going to be fun again? Because right now it's a foregone conclusion about who, who's elite and who's not. Yeah. I, I mean, the bottom is kind of more interesting than the top in a well, lot Well, the race of for second in both. Yeah. I mean, who's A&M going to beat in, in the East? I mean, in, in, the, West, in, in the, the West. West. Sorry, yeah, I'm I'm looking at that right now, and I'm 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 wondering. I don't have their schedule laid out in front of me, but it's well, it's pretty bad for them right now. It would take a type of performance for 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 A and M to compete with their defense. It, it would take a sloppy game. Kentucky won a sloppy game against Florida uh, at Kroger Field in the Commonwealth. We will discuss what that mean, what, what that win meant for, for Kentucky. Florida not playing at all well against Kentucky in this game. And what can Kentucky do now as far as battling for that spot below Georgia? And they still have their game against Georgia to come. That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360. Kentucky beats Florida 20-14 to on Saturday evening. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Tennessee trounces Missouri. Our thoughts on that straight ahead. This is one of Mark Stoops' best win, if not the best win, in his tenure at Kentucky. And it came on a night where his team did not play anywhere close to their best. The issue with Florida is they were terrible. And Kentucky took advantage. You know, how many times, Chad, over the years in this game have we seen Kentucky leave a Florida wide receiver completely uncovered on a crucial third and long, and it ends up going for a touchdown, or uh, multiple receivers uncovered to the far side of the field and just looking like they didn't know how to get lined up defensively for a Kentucky defense that's known for being good on defense. Uh, that was Mark not th- Stoops, a defensive head coach. Right, right. And that, that was DC. not the case uh, in, in, in this game. 
um, where Kentucky only went one for nine on third down, but did enough against Florida's offense and got some help from the Gators because the Gators couldn't move the football um, to, to win this game and what, the first time since the 80s that Kentucky beat Florida? First time since 86. Two good, one bad for Kentucky out of this game. First win in Lexington since 86. That's a big monkey off their back uh, in that rivalry series, and they finally got it done at home. Fans got to storm the field. Obviously very good. Another good thing about Kentucky, their overall team is way better than I expected. Note that I said overall team, because the one bad thing about Kentucky, this offense is not that good. Uh, I think that we probably jumped the gun on Will Levis and, and Liam Cohen being uh, something that was going to transform Kentucky into a great offense. 224 yards of offense, 87 passing yards is not going to cut it. They were dominated in this game, yardage-wise. 382 for Florida. It's a weird game. There was only one turnover apiece. It wasn't like there was a rash of turnovers. The difference was a blocked field goal that was returned for a touchdown. That's the 20-13 to final, and that's the seven points difference well, uh, in this game. They, you're right about the, the field goal. And that Florida scored on their second possession of the game. It was 7 nothing. And then here are their drives. Punt, punt, field goal, punt, punt. Return uh, by Kentucky for the, the, the touchdown. Um, they, they looked discombobulated. Dis, they, they were not, just not in sync. They looked disorganized, Paul, at the end of the game. Uh, Florida got the ball deep inside the 20 and could not score and really didn't even come close. Um, they... You, you leave this game thinking Florida should have won the game, but the fact that Kentucky ends up winning sets them up for uh, a big step forward in 2021. Is there a degree of letdown from Florida after a good showing of Alabama in what they put forth against Kentucky? Well, here's the, here's the letdown for Florida. Well, and, no, and they, this just, is, they and played this Tennessee is, the week after Alabama. This is, this, this is what happened with, uh, with Josh yeah, Dobbs at Tennessee at one point, right? The, the secret's out. On, on Florida, if you can stop the quarterback run at all, right. they are going to have a hard time scoring because Emory Jones, he, he played well against Tennessee throwing the ball. He is not a dynamic playmaker through the air. So Alabama was completely unable to stop either the handoff game or the quarterback run against Florida, and, and Florida did well. Tennessee, same thing, especially with Emory Jones running. They couldn't stop them. Now, the key for Kentucky is – they had a great game plan with Mark Stoops, and they limited that the way they spied Emory Jones. And they had good you know, eye discipline that coaches talk about all the time and everything else with him. But here's the main thing. We could They've got the horses. Their front seven outside of Georgia and maybe A&M when they're playing really well is as good as most teams in the SEC. And they showed that. I think that's the underrated part of Kentucky right now. They have got a legit front seven that's going to shut people down they finally have the horses to execute the defensive game plan against the running quarterback in Emory Jones at Florida. And for that reason, they can skate by and beat Florida with 87 yards passing. Well, that's good news for Kentucky. That's a, that's a great win, but I think they're kind of at the stage. To me, I talk about like the validation sticker a lot. If they follow that up and lose to LSU, it takes a lot of the shine off of it, right? They're in position sure. now where if they come back and beat LSU, then you say they really got something going because LSU has shown itself to be very vulnerable, right? But if they let themselves lose to LSU after that, then you say, well, it was a one-off. Well, now if they're... If they beat LSU, they're going to Georgia 6-0. and Yes. And that's two undefeated teams. 6-0 and against 6-0. and Yep. 
Right. And then it's how badly do they lose to Georgia or how, with, exactly. with what degree of mobility. But, but it's not about Georgia for Kentucky. This right. is about we, – we know they're not in the cellar of the East. They're not in that group of teams. Not close. Um, they're, you know, right now, that would be South Carolina, Vandy, and Missouri. Uh, winning the head-to-head matchup against Missouri in week two, or was it week three, Early. of the college football season at home. Which is a pretty close game. game. Yeah, close game, but you know, they a, won. A, an impactful game in week two that affects these standings as we set it up now. Now getting over the hump at home against Florida in a year in an offseason where you felt like they could take a step forward, but if, they, if Florida wins that ugly game, a game that were 33 points combined scored, uh, Chad mentioned the passing yards, uh, Florida one time of possession by 13 minutes. If they lo- if Kentucky loses the ugly game, then we're looking at it going okay. They're they're out of the they're they're no longer lumped into that bottom group of teams. But where where are they really? Yeah, What's the, the ceiling? Somewhere. Now they have the chance, and it's a, a good point to uh, by you about the the LSU game. Georgia is Georgia, but moving forward, you know they'll play Tennessee, of course. Um, they they they've already won against Florida. Can they be the? Can they finish second in the East? Just they've, off, of they've Georgia. positioned themselves to do that, and that's that. They would be able, Chad, to look back on the season and emphatically say it is a huge step forward for the program. It's already a step forward based on where they've been and what Stoops has been able to accomplish. But now they they do get to cap out with some expectations of the off season. They're right on track to where they hope they would be at this point. If they can go and sell. We just passed Florida right. for number two in the East. Or that's, if, that's a big thing to sell not on the pass, recruiting Not pass, but you're mentioned with them, right? Well, that, and, that's and the, that's for the one key. Year, for one year, you passed them. Well, for one year, you passed them. But I'm saying I'm, I'm talking tiers, SEC tiers. In the West, we're discussing Ole Miss and Arkansas and that second tier behind Alabama. Auburn's in there, too, because they won head-to-head against LSU this week. Kentucky's in that next tier behind Georgia. Yeah, with, and, with Florida, at least. And we were, if we're just, you know, at a bar discussing SEC football, you didn't really know where to put Kentucky in that mix. And now, because they got the head-to-head matchup against Florida, they're mentioned in the same category now. That's a huge win for Stoops. And Mark Stoops can name his price now yes, to stay at Kentucky. Yes. I mean, that was the case before the season. But he's going to have some suitors. Uh, James Franklin goes to USC. Penn State comes open. They're going to go after Mark Stoops. There's going to be things like that. The dominoes will start to go into place. What happens at LSU? What if they continue to slide? What if Mark Stoops helps put Ed Ogeron out of work and LSU opens up? LSU is going to be looking at guys like Lane Kiffin or Mark Stoops. It's going to be an interesting offseason from that perspective. I don't say that to bum Kentucky fans out because all signs indicate that Mark Stoops is perfectly happy in Lexington. And he may very well be a lifer uh, with that program and be perfectly suited and fine never going to an SEC championship game. Because I still think Kentucky is a program that as long as Kirby Smart's at Georgia and as long as Florida is Florida, ultimately, they're not going to go to the SEC championship game. They're not going to get to Atlanta. And if you're fine with that, that knowledge, if you're Mark Stoops, that, hey, nine or ten wins is a great season in the SEC at Kentucky – and I'm okay doing that and never challenging for a national title, then he's probably going to stay in Lexington. Kentucky faces LSU. Florida will face LSU in two weeks prior to... So Kentucky goes LSU-Georgia in back-to-back weeks. Florida has a, a matchup coming up now against LSU, and then they will face Georgia. 
for the cocktail party on October 30th. So those are the back-to-back matchups. Florida will finish against South Carolina, Samford, and Missouri. Florida so, plays Vanderbilt this week. Vanderbilt this week, that's right. So Florida now, so bye week. Florida, Florida should be right there in contention for second in the East despite this loss. Can Kentucky get over LSU, and then can Kentucky win against Mississippi State? We expect they would on that matchup, but now they've positioned themselves to finish ahead of Florida. You've got to handle success a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is different. It's a different aura to Kentucky football. And, it, I mean, it props to what Stoops has done. I, I don't have to say this to Kentucky fans also because they know the history in the series. Watch out for that trip from Tennessee to Kentucky because – yeah. In this series, when Kentucky's been at their best, that's when Tennessee beats them. Two years ago, they brought the number 11-ranked team in the country to Knoxville and got whipped by a Jeremy Pruitt coach team. Uh, there were some seasons where Kentucky went to that game fully expecting as a small favorite to beat Tennessee, and Tennessee beat them. This series has gotten weird where, you know, when you think Tennessee's a big favorite, they may slip up and lose. I think about that 2011 game where they started a receiver at quarterback. I think about last year where Tennessee was a favorite going into that Kentucky game and lost. And there are times where Kentucky's a sizable favorite against Tennessee, and that's where Tennessee rises up and plays well. So there's some interesting games in that. And look, Kentucky's a tier above Tennessee right now. I'm not saying they're in the same group, but that's a game I would watch if I'm I'm Kentucky. Well, and what you – what Kentucky is hoping for is that they find the efficiency on offense the way Tennessee found efficiency against Missouri. I don't know if Tennessee can be more efficient than what they showed yeah. against the Missouri. Yeah, we, Tigers. That's, that's Hooker, the model. We saw the model of what Tennessee wants to Hooker be. Hooker was game. extremely accurate um, and deadly on the ground too. And then they also got work out of their tailbacks. Evans and Small, 18 carries for 194 yards against Missouri. I mean, that was a whipping. Look, this, and we're going to talk more in the Tennessee Power Hour about this. You talked about the tears, Hutton. You know, that, that win for Kentucky over Missouri was big for them. I would put the Tennessee win over Missouri, same thing. These are programs and coaches trying to get into that, that middle group. Uh, this is a big one for Tennessee hosting South Carolina as a double-digit favorite, which not probably going to say that again mm-hmm. before Vandy, you know, for Tennessee being that big of a favorite over an SEC opponent. Uh, that's another big step. And I can't help but go back. It's a would have, could have, should have. But Pitt lost to Western Michigan. But Pitt just went to Georgia Tech and annihilated a team that's played really well uh, since their opening uh, loss to to Northern Illinois. Pitt now is the odds-on favorite to win the ACC uh, with with their schedule that's remaining. And that's a game that if Tennessee does not turn the ball over three times and have, what, 15 penalties or whatever the insane number is, you're going to be looking back on that later in the season and thinking, you know, what could have been. But it's nice to be it's, poised. It's to all be in the front team. of Tennessee right now in terms of having a successful season with what they've got left. It's nice to be poised to be the team when Clemson retreats to, yes. to go take that title. Clemson, they're barely beating average ACC teams. Boston College had the football, uh, and, and they beat Clemson beat BC 1913 Saturday. They had the football. With uh, at the Clemson 11 yard line with 59 seconds to go, and an errant snap was recovered by Clemson, and Clemson was able to win that game. And that's twice. Georgia Tech had a similar thing happen where they're on the goal line about to go in and tie it, and there was a big stop by Clemson on that one. But not only the loss to NC State and the, the poor offensive performance all year, but you've got two teams now that's very much middle of the road ACC that are 
knocking on the doorstep to win the game against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Clemson's just a very average football team this year. And there's, there's no way around. They, they look like a middle-of-the-pack ACC team, which all is shocking all the, given their recruiting prowess. All, all in all, though, it's a good win for Clemson this year. B- BC was 4-0. They were coming off of that win against Missouri uh, with all the talk and the, the, the fight words that were thrown out there for that game. Um, and they were gifted a victory at home. They have a 31 home game winning streak now for Clemson that they were just barely able to hang on to. I've not read this or seen this anywhere, but if James Franklin does go to USC, a name that I would circle at Penn State if I were hiring is Jeff Halfley from Boston College. That, that's a guy with uh, recruiting ties to that area that I, I love. What, what about done Campbell? BC. Is Campbell top three there? No, Campbell may have um, – yes, I think he's going to be top three. But given Iowa State's disappointment this year, if Campbell wanted a, a different job, he may be waiting gone, around too long. Should have gone last year. Because now the problem is you've actually built up expectation at Iowa State where they've never had it before, and they're not meeting that expectation. And then once that starts to happen, it's all about expectation Shine in college football. Up. Suddenly you're looked at as a disappointment when you build things up to a level and you don't get over that hurdle. Uh, meanwhile, Iowa living up to expectation. Yeah. That Iowa, spread was ridiculous Iowa on Friday night. putting up 51 points. That Iowa offense putting up 51 points against Maryland. Iowa's defense holding Maryland on Friday to 14 points. A Maryland offense that averaged going into the game 500 yards of total offense each week. What was the spread? Four and a half? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was, was single digits. It was ridiculously small. Yeah, yeah. And credit to Iowa. They're 51-14 over Maryland. That sets up this week's game against Penn State. Well, there is no excuse for any offense with just a cavalcade of big white fullbacks running in and out of the game to score 51 points on anyone. I'm watching Iowa <laughs> and the way turnovers. they play. And, I mean, this is – if unless you're Joel McAvicka and it's 1993 <laughs> and you're Nebraska, there is no offense in America. that That is a crime by Maryland to watch what Iowa did in that game to them offensively. Iowa's legit. Uh, Iowa Six Penn State this week it's going to be prominent on my top 10 list of games. Uh, the I mean Iowa is in a place now if they win that game at home against Penn State they're they're headed to be the representative in the Big 10 championship game with a chance to playoffs. A chance to play and now now we're talking about will will the Big 10 get multiple teams in with the way they're playing. Ohio State's back. They route Rutgers. Um, that was my lock. I thought Rutgers was going to play them close based on what I'd seen Rutgers do. And Ohio State, I thought, was coming back to the pack. That was not the case. 50, There's, and I don't want to butcher the name. 13. I think it's Austin Tuck at The Athletic has a, an algorithm that he's put together for playoff odds each week, and he updates it and shows it. The highest odds right now of the playoff is two SEC teams, two Big Ten teams. Michigan. Now, that's a, what the playoff's going to be. Great both, win. Both leagues getting multiple teams in. Great win for Michigan. Um, and you have to call them a playoff contender. Yep. You have to. Uh, going on the road against Wisconsin and thoroughly winning that game. Running the football right at the Badgers uh, and handling their business, 38-17, uh, to kick off that Saturday slate. They, and, and look, they, they didn't have to rely on their run game, and that was what's so crucial about Michigan now. They can find a little balance through that offense. Wisconsin has lost now, what, seven or eight straight against top 25 opponents? They're in trouble. And uh, Graham Mertz being out now uh, does not help, but uh, Wisconsin just looks terrible. Looked terrible against Notre Dame. Uh, looked terrible this Saturday. And, and a good win for Michigan, but, I mean, it's, 
going back to the divisional play argument, that East is so lopsided. It is. I mean, you add Michigan State to it now that, that's undefeated. Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, all of those teams feel like they've got a shot at the college football playoff. And they're all going to play each other in the Beat same division. Meanwhile, you've got Iowa over there by themselves in the West where you know Wisconsin should be a contender, uh, but they're not this year. And, and they're going to be headed to the, the Big Ten Championship game with really not much of a challenge, it looks like. And a, a great defensive effort by Michigan against Wisconsin. This is a Wisconsin Badgers offense that last year ran for 340 yards on Michigan's defense. They had 43 yards rushing Saturday against Michigan. It's that, a slight market adjustment. It's a great yeah. rally job by 43 Jim yards Harbaugh. on like 30 carries. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, Harbaugh's life has gotten a slightly easier with these results. And if you want a team that's not in the Big Ten or SEC to play in the college football playoff, Cincinnati helped you out Since on Saturday you, with their win over I Notre had Dame. That all wrong. I didn't have a lot of confidence going into that one. We were they talking good. Friday, Chad. I love their defense. We, we talk so much about Desmond Ritter at quarterback in their offense. I love that Cincy defense. Um, and I, I think his I, – I don't want to mess, mess up his name. The young defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, I think is his name, is a guy to watch. I know Tennessee interviewed him and wanted him, and he stayed at Cincinnati with Luke Fickle and some other big programs. Oh, I programs. thought he was at Ohio State. Didn't the Titans try to get him to be linebacker? Did he go coach? to Ohio State? Or at Notre, uh, Notre Dame, sorry. Okay, maybe you're right. At Notre Dame, I thought. Either way, that – the Cincinnati defense I thought is, he replaced is incredible. Clark Lee. I may be way off base there. Maybe you're right. Um, is that who Vrabel was trying to get to be inside linebackers coach here once upon a time? I think so. Not sure. Not sure. But Cincinnati, by the way, they win 24-13 over the Irish. They shut out the Irish for over 43 minutes of this game. So That's to, to what Chad's saying about uh, the, the, the defensive effort, it was strong. And... Then their uh, Brian Kelly's former team trolled them on uh, social media. Had a former uh, clip, uh, a previous clip of Brian Kelly saying Cincinnati's the place to be, <laughs> and put that up post game. It was it was epic. It looks like he is the uh, coach in waiting. Marcus Freeman, defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, is what I'm reading. Okay. Unless this, unless the Cincinnati website has oh. not been uh, has not been updated. Um, yeah, I mean that's who would have thought though. However long Brian Kelly's been at Notre Dame, with all the success he's had, that a Cincinnati team, a team that he left, a program he left, would be a favorite at Notre Dame Stadium that many years into his tenure and would go in there Deliver and win. On it. Great job by Luke Fickle. Um, Cincy, if they go unbeaten, they're in the playoff, aren't they? I don't know. I mean, th- this... You th- know why? What's their next you know best why? win? BYU. BYU's resume will be stronger if they go unbeaten. They've got a win over Arizona State. Arizona State looks like far and away the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, but you—they would have five wins over Pac-12 opponents if they go unbeaten because they're an independent. What does the and perception they have to schedule a lot of Pac-12 teams? What's the perception of a win at Notre Dame though for Cincy? Well, again, this year it's, it's not about the one game. It's that they would have two Power Five wins: Indiana and Notre Dame, and that's it. Now. BYU would not be able to claim as good of a win as Notre Dame in one win. But if you've got five Power 5 wins against the Pac-12 and you're 5-0 and against the Pac-12, I, looking at it right now and the way things would shake out, I think BYU is the biggest problem for Cincinnati if they end up going unbeaten as the team that could crash the party. It's going to be fun to watch, though, rooting for both those teams to go unbeaten 
just to see if you can have some level of chaos in the playoffs. Well, and Cincinnati's five now, BYU's yeah. ten. And it's great that uh, it worked out again for Cincy. There's already been turmoil at the top of the top 25 uh, and, and looking at the playoff rankings here. Um, it worked out again, Oregon losing to Stanford in that game. Uh, Stanford, um, 31-24 the final. Arizona State knocked off UCLA. So this is, uh, this is a great weekend for Cincinnati. No, it's, it's worked out well for them, no doubt about it. I mean, look, it's, it's going to be Cincinnati and BYU, I think, is the two group of five teams that are going to have a shot. Coming well, up. And the help here for Cincinnati is the two teams in front of them, Penn State, Iowa, one of them's getting a loss to the other this weekend. Coming up, we discuss the Vols and their dominance on Saturday against Missouri. We'll talk Titans, Jets as well in the Tennessee Power Hour, final hour of the show. Uh, we're off and rolling here, kicking off a great week on Outkick 360. What a first half by the Tennessee Volunteers. And what a game by Hendon Hooker. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network with Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We're going to kick off the Tennessee Power Hour a little early so we have plenty of time to discuss the Vols who deserve a lot of discussion from their uh, performance on Saturday. We'll get to the Titans uh, coming up to begin the top of the Tennessee Power Hour and uh, the unacceptable showing yesterday against one of the league's worst teams in the New York Jets. Um, 62-24 the final. Balls over Tigers on Saturday. Here are the first half drives. Five plays, 57 yards, touchdown. Seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown. One play, 92, touchdown. One play, one yard, touchdown off the interception. Five plays, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Ten plays, 86 yards, and a touchdown. 29 plays, 42 points, and the Vols had about as perfect of an offensive half as you can imagine. I don't know if they can be more efficient than what they showed on Saturday. Outstanding. Hutton, they did not punt the entire game. That's the first time since 2009. Talked a lot about Lane Kiffin today. 2009, first game of Lane Kiffin's short tenure in Knoxville against Western Kentucky was the last time Tennessee did not punt in a game. And by the way, the score should have been 69 to 24 because mm. I have no idea how, but somehow the SEC claims they review Tyon Evans clearly getting into the end zone yeah, on did. top of another player with the ball outreached over it and did not do a thing about it, which I really hope I understand the game's out of control at that point, but this isn't Pop Warner. This isn't a mercy situation where you feel bad for those poor kids from Missouri getting beat so bad and you take a touchdown off the board. And Deuce McAllister, who was calling the game, and uh, I think it was Dave Neal, they come back, and clearly there was a lot of criticism from Tennessee fans on Twitter, and they said, hey, we just want to make everybody saying that they didn't review it. The league absolutely reviewed the play. We've been told. They looked at that play, and they're showing the replay over and over of him <laughs> scoring, and then there's five seconds of silence, and I'm thinking, hey, Deuce, here's where you jump in and say, you know, the obvious next question is, why wasn't it a touchdown then if they reviewed it? It makes it worse that they admitted to looking at it and then saying, we didn't even want to you know, look at that any further after seeing it was a touchdown. Anyway, I digress. That's my one angry moment from that game. Should have been 69-24. 35, you sound like a Bama fan. <laughs> 35 for, yeah, look, as a Tennessee fan, I'll take whatever I can get, and I will, uh, I will bathe in this uh, just uh, annihilation for oh, as long awesome. as possible because it's, it may not happen for a while again. 35 first downs. This was a, one of the crazy stats to me. 
35 Tennessee first downs. They had 10 third downs. They only got to third down 10 times of those 35 first downs. Uh, just in a remarkable game offensively and complete destruction start to finish against a Missouri team who was favored in this game. I'm sure the Vols, and I didn't see a lot of this, were, were absolutely fantastic. How much of a contributing factor was Missouri's poorness um, defensively and across the board? They fired their defensive line coach yeah. the day after. <laughs> I mean, Steve Wilkes, former NFL, NFL head coach, is their defensive coordinator, and they went from a 4-3 defense to a 3-3-5. For this game? After getting gashed. And Eli Drinkwicks was asked about it and said, you know, we, we were trying to do some things uh, where we were trying to give them a different look in this game. And he, he then admitted, he said, probably too many meetings this week. Probably too many meetings about this game. And uh, we got a little too cute with what they were trying to do. And clearly Tennessee just gashed them. I mean, there was At times every, looked- every handoff, there was five or six yards before contact. Yeah. At I mean, times it, was it looked too like easy. they were prepared to play a pocket passer defensively, and uh, Hooker made them look bad. I mean, that, he was outstanding. There, there is no – and I know that Heupel's already named in the starter chat. There's there no is doubt. no doubt in that middle of that game. You're like, this, this he's the guy. guy. He is the guy. I, I knew on two throws, proved it to me, the first one to Peyton with the touch, and then it was his third read when he hit the post to Cedric Tillman for the touchdown on third and long. And he saw it, and immediately, you know, he's getting hit or pressured on the play and makes a perfect pass. And I'm thinking, that's all I need to see because most games he's only going to be successful when it's the first or second read. But in this game, he showed the ability to hit a third and fourth read. There was a big third down pickup to Princeton Fant where it was clear he scanned right, middle, went back left, picked up the first down. I'm very impressed with Hendon Hooker in this game. I'm impressed with really everyone on Tennessee's team. And keep this in mind, too. You know, they gave up the 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Tennessee's defense played well in this game against the Run Missouri offense that, that played, you know, has played pretty well. But they held, the, they held the top back to, like, two yards of carry? Yeah, I mean, this is a team that scored some points and did some things against a very good Kentucky defense. I thought defensively Tennessee was pretty good also. But 458 yards rushing, I mean, that, that's enough to get not just a defensive line coach fired, but maybe even a defensive coordinator fired at some point, especially – against the Tennessee team that coming into the season was picked behind you in the SEC East and is battling for a bowl game, just well, like Missouri coming and, in. And now we, we talk about hierarchy um, and, and tiers. They get, with the, with the Georgia game being pushed back on their schedule now, that benefits the Vols because this is the game you wanted. They win it decidedly. Now they face South Carolina, a team they're now favored by 10 points over. And then they get Kentucky before Georgia. That's, that's advantage Tennessee on the schedule. Yeah, and South Carolina is a totally different challenge for Tennessee because they've got a really good defense and they don't really do much of anything on offense where it's kind of reversed with Missouri. They had a pretty good offense, couldn't do anything on defense. But yeah, I mean, look, it's all in front of Tennessee now. If they beat, they should beat South Carolina this week. If they take care of business and win that game, they are South Alabama and Vandy away from 6-6, six and six, which everyone would have said, good season coming in if they won six games. And I'm not counting Tennessee out. If they're capable of this that we saw on Saturday, they're capable of another eruption like this against an Ole Miss or against Kentucky. I'm not counting them out of those games. I don't think they're beating Georgia or coming close to it. Um, they're, they're not beating Alabama. But I don't look at any other game on the schedule and think it's not a winnable game mm-hmm. for Tennessee. And that includes Ole Miss and Kentucky. And I'm putting South Carolina, 
South Alabama and Vandy in the absolutely should win category for this Tennessee team. They were impressive, and it's been a long time since I've watched a Tennessee team against a, an SEC opponent and said they're just far superior. What was they're the better coached? They had better effort. They had better scheme. Their players executed. Tyon Evans, you talked about Hendon Hooker definitely being the starter. Tyon Evans is definitely the starter at running back now. He's impressive. It was great. And Small was great too. Yep. In a short amount of time, he was good. Excellent Bravo. job. Excellent job by the Tennessee offense and defense taking care of Missouri on Saturday. The Titans did the opposite against the Jets. We'll give our thoughts there uh, and much more. Tennessee Power Hour is next on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.